Well, I've had the privilege of having family and friends visit the last couple of weeks. Actually, Mary and I were thinking since February 6th, we are going to be having someone with us from now until April, the first week in April. Learned that having a house in Arizona... Um, Now, I think it's that they're coming to see me, or it's the Cubs, and I'm not sure which one it is. You guys are all supposed to say, no, it's you. Okay. But, but we know better. So, actually, this week, I have, um, my daughter is here with my grandkids. We have three now, and so she is here for a couple weeks. And my son is here on spring break, and he is going back later this afternoon back to Baylor. And Bradley, just stand up so they can see you. That's my son, Bradley. And then my best friend from Oregon is here with his family. I'm going to admire Morgan and Kim. Why don't you guys stand? And Myrig and I, I met Myrig at a Golf Galaxy store in Schaumburg, Illinois. Um, and somehow we hit it off. And I am so thankful to God for him. Because today we're going to be talking about enlarging your soul through grief and loss. And although I met Myrig at a golf store a number of years ago, when I was going through chemotherapy... He flew from Oregon to be with me through those dark times. And when you go through dark times in your life, it is a true blessing to have someone to go through it with you. To have someone who's there to say the right things and to have someone there who keeps their mouth shut when they know to keep their mouth shut. Of course, there's no one better than Mary going through those dark times with me, and she was there through all the dark times, but um, to have Myra with me, that was, I will never forget that. He, he was, he actually has his Bears shirt on right now, and all weekend he's been giving me updates on who the Bears are signing, so... But a, a while ago, my cousin, and uh, just a couple weeks ago, my cousin Doug was here. We actually had uh, the family, I talked about them coming in. My cousin Doug and I were here, and we were talking about our families getting older, and my dad had passed away, and his father had just passed away a couple years ago. And we talked about getting older, and my dad died suddenly of either a blood clot or a heart attack. His dad um, suffered for a couple years. And so we talked about getting older, and getting a terrible disease, and he said if he got some terrible disease like ALS, he said he would just throw a big party, say thank you to everyone, and then get in the car and just drive away. And I thought seriously about that, because Mary's father had ALS when he died. And so I thought to myself, what if God were going to teach me something through having a terrible disease. What if God was going to teach me something? And so instead of avoiding and dealing with grief, grief and loss, I tried to figure out what I could learn from grief and loss. 
and who I could become by honestly dealing with grief and loss and pain. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. We're continuing our series on emotionally healthy spirituality, and today we're dealing with enlarging your soul through grief and loss. And our text for today is from Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. Matthew 26, this is the story of Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It is right before he is arrested, and then the trial and the crucifixion. And so this is what is said, Matthew 26, verse 36. And again, if you do not have a Bible and would like one, we have Bibles there um, there for you to have and to take with you on the back table there. Um, And if you know someone who would like a Bible and doesn't have one, please take them um, and give them out. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Today, this message, there's, there's really there's a couple points, and we'll go through them in just a little bit, but there's not like five easy steps for grief and loss. It is more of a mystery. And so I think that you will get that today. But think about this scene that we just read about. I'm going to show you some pictures here. And if you Google Jesus in the garden or Jesus on the ground, these are the pictures that you're going to get. So there's a nice one. It's a little dark, but that's your traditional one, Jesus' folded hands. I'm not sure why we have the folded hands all the time, but it's very nice, and he's clean and flowing robes. And you can't see in the background, there's the disciples asleep. If you go to the next picture, it's a little better. Um, now Jesus is glowing, though. Um, and still folded hands, disciples in the back. Um, and then this one. This... I'm not sure if this is a picture trying to depict what we just read, but it doesn't seem at all 
like the one we just read about. Nice, clean, white, folded hands again. Um, go to the next one. Okay, now this is getting a little better. A little better. Um, still kneeling, not face down. And you think, why do we portray Jesus this way rather than the way it's written in the scriptures? Well, go to the next one. That's a little better. I think this is a scene that's um, from the movie um, The Passion of the Christ. Um, but still, Jesus is not on his face in the ground. Go to the next one. And that one conveys a little better, at least for me, that conveys the anguish that Jesus is going through. But it was extremely hard for me to find a picture of Jesus on the ground, face on the ground, hands out, crying. Why? We don't like that. We don't like that. We have a difficult time with grief and loss. I have a difficult time with grief and loss. And maybe it's just my background or my personal experiences. And we've been going through that through the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class. And my roommate from college did not go through grief and loss very well. He came from a broken family. It was a very difficult uh, family. Um, we got along great, but his uh, family, his, they were divorced, and his dad was not going to pay for college, but he would give him all this other money for other things, so he bought him a car, but wouldn't pay for college. So it was a little difficult that way, and his mom struggled a lot. And one of his favorite songs that he would play quite a bit, I'd come back to the room, and he would be playing a Simon and Garfunkel song called I am a rock. So I want you to listen to this. How many of you remember this song? Okay, you remember. You can probably sing along as we sleep. So let's listen. A winter's day In a deep and dark December
thought that that was getting him through the pain. Life is not a problem to be fixed. It is a mystery to be lived. Life is not a problem to be fixed. It is a mystery to be lived. And in our culture, we don't do well with grief and loss. We numb our pain and grief of grief and loss through denial, blaming through rationalizations, through addictions, and through avoidance. And we search for spiritual shortcuts around the wounds that we feel. And we demand others, or at least things, take away our pain. And the question for us is, will our losses crush us? Will they crush our spirits and lives? Or will they open us up to new possibilities and depths of transformation in Jesus Christ. And in our culture, we often suppress our feelings and emotions. You've heard me say before, why do people apologize for crying at funerals? I think if you don't cry, you should apologize. When my father died, I remember my mother, she tried to take care of everyone else. Her way of coping with the loss of my father was to take care of everyone else. And it wasn't until a year later that she told me, she says, you know, I think I've never grieved for your father. And she was able, finally able to express her sadness and loss. But she had avoided the pain by keeping busy and doing other things for other people. And in our culture, addictions has become the most common way to deal with pain. We watch TV incessantly. We work 70 hours a week. We indulge in pornography, overeat, overdrink, and take pills. Anything to keep us from avoiding pain. And some of us demand that someone else take away our pain. But this isn't the way it is all over the world. I remember um, being over in England a couple years ago, and... I got a headache and I ran out of Advil, so I went to the store to buy some Advil. And the most I could buy was a pack of eight. And I said, we have bottles of 500. And they're like, why would you buy 500 at a time? But sadly, the result of denying and minimizing our wounds over many years is that we become less and less human. Empty Christian shells with painted on smiley faces. But let's look how Jesus dealt with grief and loss. Go back to Matthew 26. This is the example Jesus set for us. So he's with his disciples, verse 36. It says, when Jesus went with his disciples to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. 
So Judas isn't with him, so he's got the 11 disciples there, and he takes with him his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John. James and John are, P- are Jesus' cousins as well. And so he takes them with him. So the group of disciples, there's one group of disciples, and then he goes, I'm going to take you guys with me. And he said, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, okay, that's really important. He said to them, he admitted to them what was going on. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. What did he just admit to them? He says, I am sorrowful to the point of wanting to die. Do we admit that ever? To each other or do we just stuff our emotions down so he took his three closest friends and he told them this stay here and keep watch with me and going a little further he fell with his face to the ground and prayed my father if it is possible may this cup be taken from me yet not as I will but as you will he didn't go over and kneel politely and fold his hands and pray. He fell with his face to the ground, and it probably wasn't, dear Father, take this cup from me. There was probably a lot of wailing and raised voices. So let's look a couple things that he did, these next points, if you put the next slide up. One, he didn't run away and hide by himself. He is not a rock. He is not an island. He sh- and the second thing is he shared his pain with his close friends. He shared with them what, he was going, what was going on. He told them what was going on in his life. I am overwhelmed to the point of death. But then he faced the pain himself. So he takes his three closest friends and then says, stay here. This is what's going on. I need you here. He doesn't ask them for advice. Okay. The good thing about them falling asleep is that they at least keep their mouths shut. <laughs> and then, for he honestly told God his wants. He didn't have an intellectual discussion with God. He told them. He told the heavenly Father his wants. I don't want to do this. He told God his wants. And then the fifth is he learned to fall. He was totally in touch with his emotions and he fell with his face to the ground. And Jesus says very clearly to his disciples what's going on. He's able to express, not to everyone, but he at least expresses to his closest friends what's going on. And in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 It says that Jesus offered his prayers to God with loud cries and tears. Loud cries and tears. And he is in anguish and he's overwhelmed and he's to the point of death. This is our Lord and Savior. This is how he deals with grief and loss. So he's flat on the ground and he's crying out in prayer. Why can't we paint that? 
And Jesus is living out what he taught earlier in his ministry, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he's empty and he's got nothing to hold on to except the Heavenly Father. And if you think that Jesus is going to give you health and wealth and prosperity, and you think that it's always possible to have bad things removed from your life, this passage shoots that theory down. It's also important to note that Jesus doesn't get what he asked for. Jesus said, if it's possible, let's get rid of this. Let's figure out another way to bring salvation. Just take this cup from me. But if it's not possible, not my will, but yours be done. And the Heavenly Father basically says, no, you need to drink this. This is the cup that's before you. And Jesus goes back three times. Not just once, but three times. He doesn't go a hundred times. He goes three, and he knows what the answer is. And there is Jesus teaching and modeling for us a whole new way to be human. He doesn't suppress his emotions. He doesn't stuff them down. He expresses them in front of three close friends. And he explains to us and shows to us what it means to be truly human. Fully human. Jesus is fully God and fully human. And do we live in such a way that we walk through losses and grief the way Jesus did? Do we follow his example so that our soul is enlarged rather than constricted? And the other thing about losses is that every time they come into our lives, they interrupt our plans. No one plans for grief and loss. We don't sit there and go, well, next year, I'm planning on some great losses in my life. Maybe May. You don't put them down. They come and they interrupt your life. They change your plans. You don't plan for grief and loss. And they come in so many different forms. Either they come from the death of people we love, but it also may be divorce, it may be separation, it may be a breakup of a relationship that will never be restored, it may be an illness, it may be a crushing disappointment, betrayals, affairs, abuse, unfulfilled dreams that we realize are never going to happen, failures in life, disappointments from our bad choices or from our children's choices or our parents' choices or doors that shut that you realize are never going to be opened again. Or it's painful memories of decisions that we have made and that maybe we have hurt people greatly and we carry with us those losses. And in our culture, we don't do grief and loss well, but the problem is the church hasn't done grief and loss well either. And so people come to church and we fake it. How are you? I am fine. Just fine. And how are you? Fine as well. And we paint on smiley faces. You know, it's okay. We have that sign out front that says, no perfect people allowed. And we absolutely believe that. But the one thing we don't like is sad. You know, you can be broken. I lost my job. Oh, that's too bad. But if you come and say, you know, I am just sad. Oh, great. You want a coffee? <laughs> we have hazelnut. 
There's creamer as well. What do we do with sadness? We don't do sadness well. And so we pretend. And we cover up our pain. Now, it's not you should tell everyone. But to be able to tell someone. That is a gift. And I used to think that good Christians, or at least strong Christians, or at least mature Christians, never got hurt, confused, or discouraged. And if they were missionaries, wow, they never had problems. <laughs> but here's Jesus, our leader, with his face on the ground, crying out to God. The Messiah, my Savior, my Lord, and that's the example he sets for me and for all of us. And because Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human, he is in touch with his emotions. He is a body, he is a mind, and he is real. And he is just like us, except for sin. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. I would rather die. And maybe for many of you, you have been there too. And it's okay. It's okay to admit it. And I'm not sure what cup Jesus has put in front of you today. But you might be at your limit. And you might be saying, I can't take it anymore. And I am overwhelmed to the point of death. Jesus is right there with you. And we need friends when, we're, when we are in our time of anguish. So Peter is there. James and John, they're there. They were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They've been there in the high times and some of the low times. And they're there. And at least they know to keep their mouths shut. And for us, if you have a friend who's going through grief and loss, they need you with them. But they also need you to shut up. To keep your mouth shut and just be with them. The best thing you can sometimes say is nothing at all, but be there. Now, don't fall asleep when you're there with them, but be there with them. And the other thing is, don't offer advice. We don't know what happens when we're going through grief and loss. I don't know what God is doing in my life and so I don't know what God is doing in someone else's life, so the worst thing to do is offer advice. Well, you know God's still on the throne. Well, of course God is on the throne. You don't need to say that to someone. But we don't know what God is doing in someone's life, so don't offer advice. I guess the one point, if you want one point, is just be there. Be there and share in their pain. But... Here's the issue. Jesus is there with his disciples, but he is separate from them because no one can grieve for you. No one can grieve for you. And when we move through our journey with Christ, you will go through your Gethsemanes and you have the opportunity to have your soul enlarged through grief and loss, but you have to grieve. 
and it's okay to grieve. And it's lonely there because no one can grieve for you. And so as we learn to fall, don't say foolish things. Wait on God, and God will help you in his own time. But there's something else that happens when we learn to fall, and it's this. Our souls become enlarged, but here's the point. Deep grieving empties our souls of junk. Deep grieving empties our soul of junk. There's stuff that is removed from our lives when we go through grief and loss, and it can't be removed any other way. And we see that there's stuff that comes out of our lives, things that we thought were so important, what people thought, or whatever we had in our life that was unhealthy. It's taken out, and now there is room for God to transform you in a way like no other. Grief and loss creates a vacancy in our souls for God, and we absorb our pain. And I have learned that as I go through grief and loss, I don't get rid of my pain. It becomes part of who I am. You never get over it. And there's a lie. Time does not heal. Grief and loss comes in waves. But it becomes part of who you are. But now, through an enlarged soul, you are able to love in ways that you could never love before. And you can receive God's love in ways that you could never do before. And this passage is really about praying. It's really about praying. Jesus learned to fall, and he's in prayer with the Father. And he's telling the Father exactly what he wants. But he's also listening to the Father, who tells him that he's not going to get what he wants. And Jesus is utterly dependent upon the Heavenly Father. And that's what prayer is. Our utter dependence on God. Not us telling God things, and not just listening, but our utter dependence on God. Remember, life is not a problem to be solved. It is a mystery to be lived. And enlarging your soul through grief and loss is mysterious. And I wish there were some simple answers to it, and there's not. But I know this. Jesus is with us every step we take. And sometimes he keeps his mouth shut too. But he's right there with you. Life is not a a problem to be fixed. It's a mystery to be lived. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to know that you are with us through the dark times in our life, through the valley of the shadow of death. You are with us. And Heavenly Father, this is difficult for us, for we live in a culture where we avoid pain at all costs. And so, Lord, I ask that for everyone here who's going through times of sorrow, 
times of loss that are profound. Comfort them in ways that we could never imagine. And may the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that only you can give, guard and protect our hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus our Lord we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing to our God.